don't know if you noticed the, uh, the screen, and if you'll notice the title of our message today, Beautiful Feet. I know you thought that when you got up this morning, you looked down, and before you put your shoes and socks on, you saw, man, what beautiful feet, right? Isn't that what you thought? You know, Patty and I have, have had the amazing privilege of raising three, what we call, incredible children. Uh, God gave us first Matthew, and his name literally is Gift of God. That's why we named him Matthew. There's a reason why he's Matthew. He was a gift from God, and I'll let you understand that if you want to understand why we named him Gift from God. But he was a gift from God. And then our second child was Amy. Uh, Amy Willen. Uh, that is Patty's middle name, Willen. Don't ask me where it came from. It's a family name. It means absolutely nothing. But her aunt was named Willen, and so we named her Amy Willen after her aunt. And uh, Amy, and then Aaron. So we've had Aaron Thomas Boswell. So we've had three. And you know, it's always amazed me, I don't know if you've ever amazed you or not, how three children can be raised under the same roof by the same set of parents their whole lives and be somewhat completely different. Have you ever wondered that, parents? Now, some of you are wondering why you're different than your siblings I don't understand it. It's just the way God made it, and you are uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully made. You are totally different, and all three of our children are really different. Aaron, and most of you know Aaron, he came to the world. He was just a weird kid. He, he talked about when he was a big man, some of the time he was five years old. We thought he had had a second life before we got uh, a previous life before we got him. He was raised, you know, he grew up just an old man all his life, responsible to the hilt. But Amy, our second child on the other case, had what we call a... It's not really a foot fetish, fetish, but it was a foot paranoia. It was a foot issue. There was something about her feet that she did not like. And so as a little girl, as she was growing up, even through high school, even today, if you really want to annoy her, just touch her feet. She hates people to touch her feet. Matter of fact, as a little kid, if you really wanted to annoy her, annoy her which I did very, very rarely in my growing up, as a, as a parent, I grew up as a parent, um, you know, to touch her feet was, was, you know, to inflict pain on her. But to touch her with your feet would ensue a punch that was equal to any of her brothers. I mean, she could punch like her brothers. As a matter of fact, I had to separate her sometimes from her brothers because she was beating up on them. She's a tough lady, so you had to be careful how you mess with her feet or how you mess with your feet onto her. And we used to joke about her being raised as a, as a little girl. Honey, one of these days, you're going to become a podiatrist. I just know God has a sense of humor, and you're going to be raised a podiatrist, and you're going to have to touch feet for the rest of your life. Well, she didn't become a podiatrist. She is now a social worker, works for the Department of Social Services in in uh, McDowell County and, and works with children who are at risk and uh, has a very difficult job. But nonetheless, she had a, a foot thing. And so in our family, we had this foot thing. Do you have a foot thing? Uh, do you look at feet and see them beautiful? Or do you think your feet are ugly? The passage that we just read today, if you have Jesus as your personal Savior, if he's the Lord of your life, and you are in the process of carrying the gospel of Jesus, God says you have beautiful feet. It's not a matter of your perspective or my perspective or anyone else's perspective. God said that those who carry the gospel of Jesus Christ on an unsaved, unlost world have beautiful feet. So the next time you put on your socks or your shoes, look down at your feet and go, man, these are good-looking feet.
Now, ladies, sandal season is almost over. So you may, we may be able to see your feet for just a few more days, but winter is coming. Praise God. But anyway, beautiful feet. And I think the concept of feet, as I was sort of thinking about it this morning, has several ways of, of talking about it. And, and I think the fact that he describes the beautiful feet that carry the gospel, I think if you describe the feet that carry the gospel, I think he's talking about how we walk with the Lord and the fact that as we live out the gospel in our day-to-day lives, as we walk out and live out the gospel, that our, our example and our lifestyle for Jesus is a beautiful thing. But I think he primarily wants us to see today how beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel to an unsaved and to a lost world. That is the method that God has chosen to take the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost world through us. The vessels, the instruments that God would use to proclaim, to broadcast, to declare, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a world that has absolutely, in my opinion today, no good news whatsoever. It's the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's so good, as a matter of fact, when the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in this study that we studied, started a couple of weeks ago, in Romans 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And as we carry this beautiful, wonderful gospel, this good news, it's through the gospel, by that means, that brings glorious, wonderful, freeing, saving news to those who hear it, who receive it, who believe in it, and who put their trust in it. It's a beautiful thing. And so as we consider the words of the Apostle Paul today, I think it's important for us to understand the process or the means or the method by which the good news is shared. Then he gives us five ways in which the good news is shared. Let's look at them very, very quickly. Number one is we see in the text, I kind of like this pulpit, it's, it's going to be kind of cool. I mean, I'm going to get behind it and start doing some, some sweating and stuff back here. I'm not sure what I'm going to do, you know? Y'all remember those old days? Preachers stand like this, it's, you know? I remember, I started out 38 years ago with a pulpit kind of like this. I kind of missed it. It wasn't cool to have one, and all these guys had these little bitty round tables they set out in these chairs. Yeah, we're going to a big pulpit, okay? So that's kind of how it is. But anyway, saving faith happens, number one, with sending. It happens, first of all, with sending. The sending is not, an, not just a sending of any kind of sending. It is a sending in which God sends. The gospel starts with God. Our salvation starts with God. You cannot independently and apart from God just wake up one day and have saving faith. Someone has to be sent by God to you where you are. A God who knows who you are, where you are, and what you need sends someone into your darkness, into your depravity, and sends this marvelous, wonderful good news that you desperately need, for without it, you will be eternally damned, if not lost, because of your sin against God. And he sends somebody to you. Where were you when you first heard the good news about Jesus? That person who shared with you the good news of Jesus was someone who was sent 
by God. He sent them to you to declare, to proclaim, to preach, to share the message of the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Notice the passage says, and now they are to preach. How are they to preach? Unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is sort of a, a backwards, sort of a back way into it. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sort of gives us the the. the the, the backward part of how, it, how it's addressed, he talks about saving. In order to be saved, you need to hear. In order to hear, you need to then... And, and he goes backwards. We're going to invert it so it sort of makes sense for us today. But in order for us to, to have saving faith, the first thing that must happen in this text, according to the inspirational Holy Spirit of God, is someone has to be sent unless they are sent. Who is the they? It doesn't really define or describe who the they are. It's the they that God selects. It's the they that God chooses. It's the gay, the they who are, who are the disciples of Jesus. It's the they who have already heard and have already placed their faith and trust in Jesus and who possess the gospel truth. That is the they. They is you and they is me. It is us. We are the they. And unless we are sent, we are sent. Notice the word sent is an interesting word. It means and it describes that God has in in the sending a purpose by which he is sending us. We have, uh, we have a mission. We have a, a purpose. We have an objective. We're not just sent randomly to, to, to just whoever or wherever and to say whatever, but we are intentionally set by God for a specific purpose, for a goal, for objective, and for a mission. God is sending us today in our world with the beautiful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, brothers and sisters, are sent by God, already commissioned by him to go. I mean, when he stood for the last time in front of his disciples as he was about to ascend into heaven, what did he say? Go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't just give that go to the disciples who were there, the 12 or the 11, actually. He gave them to all of us. And the apostle Paul, who wasn't there, understands his responsibility and his role as God is sending him to the Roman. He is the Romans. He is, he is desirous of going to the Romans and to declare this beautiful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because he has decided to go, but because he is sent to go by God. God wants to send you this week to have intentional conversations with people that are desperately in need because of their darkness and depravity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, you might think, well, we're in Stock, Kansas, so everybody's heard. Not so. But that's not true. And they may have, someone have, may have communicated it to them, but has it been communicated clearly? Has it communi been communicated exactly? Have they heard what has been communicated? Because often, you and I are like the many who listen to someone proclaiming and declaring the gospel. We hear lips move, but we hear nothing. And I'm convinced that God wants to have strategic, intentional interactions with us this next week by which he is sending us with intentionality to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure that many of us see ourselves as sent people. We just see ourselves sort of going about our day-to-day -day activities and and all the affairs that we have to do and engage in business and, and transactions and do work, whatever we do. We just don't see ourselves, we're not completely aware of the fact that he is sending us into the world that we live in. 
intentionally bringing relationships into our lives, people who desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus. So every morning this week when you wake up and look in the mirror after you've looked at your feet, (laughs) and I hope you look in the mirror because some of us need to be looking in the mirror to fix what's there or to hide what's there anyway. I want you to look in the mirror and look at yourself in the eyes and say, today, God is sending me into my mission field. Sending. Number two, sharing. Saving faith happens with sending, but it also then happens with sharing. Because, you see, as we are sent, we are to share. Notice in verse 14, it says, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to hear without someone preaching? In the earlier verse, he used the word preach, which means to herald, which means to proclaim. Here, the writer uses the word preaching, which simply means to proclaim publicly, to to proclaim boldly, to to proclaim out loud so that people can hear it. Obviously, if you're going to communicate with someone, there have been many who said, you know, well, I just communicate the gospel by the way I live my life. Really? How's that working for you? I would guarantee you it's not working too well because often because of our inability to live up to the perfection of the gospel, we we don't live perfect lives. None of us in here live perfect lives. And how will they know that it's by God's grace through faith that you're saved and not by your perfect life? Because I guarantee you're not living a perfect life. And more than likely, they're seeing hypocrisy in your life from time to time. And it's important that we share that, you know what? Jesus died for my imperfections. To preach, to proclaim intentionally. There's an urgency here, I think, in this message because of of the time frame in which not only are they in need of the gospel, but Christ soon is returning. Not only is there a sense of urgency, but I think there's a sense of importance. And and the, the message that we are to share is an important message because without it, they cannot be saved. Without it, they cannot enjoy and experience the abundant life without it they cannot know when they put their head on the pillow at night that they are destined to a better life than this life i don't care how great america is it is not and never will be heaven on earth and not only that it's a necessary message or without it they can't be saved We must preach, we must proclaim intentionally the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must share it because verse 17 says, but notice what we must share and hearing through the word of Christ. What does he mean by the word of Christ? Not just any message, but the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It needs to be the complete message of the gospel, not just partial truth, but the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help us, God. It needs to be all of the message, all of the gospel. And so many today, when they proclaim the gospel, they leave out parts of it because they don't want to be offensive. Some preachers I watch on TV from time to time don't like to mention the word sin because sin is offensive. Some people don't like to mention hell because hell is offensive. Some people don't like to talk about what it means to follow Christ as Lord and and, and turning from sin and turning to Christ. All you have to do is say this little simple prayer, trust Jesus as your Savior. You don't really need to make him the Lord of your life, just the Savior of your life. Say this prayer, and this prayer alone by itself will save you. 
And they assure people that they're saved, and that's the reason why we have such a cultural Christianity today that's, that, that's of no consequence and I don't think has any value in most of those who are proclaiming to be Christ followers are Christians today. And he says, make sure you proclaim the word of Christ. Make sure that is an accurate, complete rendition of the gospel, of the fullness of all that Jesus did, not only through his birth, but through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And now it's available to us. Share the whole truth. You may say, well, I don't, I don't know what that whole gospel message is. Anybody got a, you got a bulletin or a program today? You did? Just open that up. There's two sides to it. The gospel's right there. I mean, you're without excuse. Put it in your Bible. Several times we're going to hand it out to you in this next couple of weeks. Fold it and put it in your pocket. Memorize it. Talk about it. Think about it. You've got it in front of you, especially if you've got the Bible in your hand. Number three is hearing. After the we are sent and after we share, it's important that hearing is a part of what takes place. There has to be a, a hearing aspect. Notice it says in the third part of verse 14, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? That word never is a double negative, meaning that unless we share the gospel with them, unless they hear the gospel spoken from our lips, they will never ever be saved. They cannot be saved unless they hear the gospel. And the word hear is an interesting word. It means not only hear with their ears, but to hear with their understanding. And it is the role and the job of the Holy Spirit that when we, in obedience, having been sent by God, share this wonderful message called the good news, the gospel of Jesus, as we speak it, the Holy Spirit opens their understanding by opening their ears and they hear it. I think that's one of the reasons why sometimes we may speak or share the gospel with someone and they don't hear it. We share it again and they don't hear it. Share it again. Maybe the Holy Spirit is, is, I'm not sure, maybe it's not the right moment, maybe it's not the right time, maybe, maybe they need to hear sections of it. I'm not really sure what each individual process is by which they're going to hear it, but, but we must be faithful and hear it because it is the job and the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to open up their ears, to give them understanding of the truths that are in the gospel. Our faith is not just some mindless, empty-headed theology about God. There's an intellectual part about what we must understand in regard to the gospel of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross and what he made available to us in that which he did on the cross and through the grave. And we must open our minds to that which he has revealed to us through the scriptures to help us understand the truths that are there. It's not your responsibility to help people understand. Anybody here not good at math? Anybody not good at, at math? No matter how many classes you sit through, it just doesn't sink in. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there are some things that are just hard for some of us to understand. But the Holy Spirit's responsibility is the one that helps us understand, not, not our responsibility. Ours is simply to share. And the power of the Holy Spirit then opens the understanding opens the eyes to see Jesus as the solution, opens the ears to help us hear and understand that, that what he did is the final act that needs to be done in order for us to be saved, the hearing. So faith comes by what? Hearing. Faith in Jesus, confidence in him, comes when we hear who he is, what he has done, 
and what he did as the final sacrifice on the cross to hear. Sometimes we parents talk to our children all day long and they don't hear what we say. Right, parents? Some of us have adult children. Is that about the same thing? But isn't it great when we speak, they not only hear our words, but they understand what we have asked them to do or what we're warning them about what they're about to do will reflect itself. Right, Mike? (laughs) And it's the Holy Spirit's job to do that. It's your responsibility simply to share. Number four, believing needs to take place. Once we have been sent, once we share, once we hear, we then believe. Belief is is an important aspect because a sent messenger shares the good news, that good news is heard, and then upon hearing, the Holy Spirit then reflects itself by belief. Notice in verse 14, in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him? You know, if they don't hear about him, how can they believe? That word belief is using that word. In verse 17, we see, so faith comes by hearing. Faith comes through by the means of hearing. Verse 10, which is not on your screen, which we studied two Sundays ago, says this, for with the heart one believes and then is justified and then is saved. There's an aspect about belief. It, it, as I mentioned earlier, our, our faith is, is not just an intellectual faith. And I think this is where many people sort of fall short in their belief in Jesus. And what do you mean by that? Because James chapter 2 verse 19 says that the demons believe. Did you know that the demons believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be? The demons believe in God. The demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons believe that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sin against God. The demons believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but are demons saved? No. And there are a lot of believers today who are people who claim to be believers today who believe in the factual, intellectual understanding about who Jesus is, but they have yet to believe in what he did for them to put their trust and their faith and their confidence in him to die for their sin, to turn from their sin, and to trust Christ as their Savior and to commit to him the leadership and lordship of their lives. That's, that's where the demons lack salvation as they believe in who he is, the intellectual, factual aspect about him, but they're not going to trust him to be their savior. And I'm convinced there are many today who are walking around saying, I believe in Jesus. And yet there's no evidence by that in the way they live for him. Because they believe intellectually, but their hearts have never been transformed by the work, the regenerational work of the Holy Spirit. Remember a guy named Nicodemus, he came to to Jesus in the middle of the night and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, you must be born again. There's more than an intellectual aspect about our belief. We must be born again. And once we believe in him, it says we are justified. Jesus met all the qualifications that were necessary for us to stand in a right standing before God. And once we believe in him, once we put our faith and trust in him as our savior and commit to him the lordship of our lives, we are justified. We are saved. We are birthed into a new life. Faith comes by hearing, and once we believe, notice what it says finally, number five, there needs to be a calling. Notice they call on him. How can they call on him to 
call on him? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How can they, how will they call? The matter of the will is an interesting thing in this text to me. It's often debated among theologians. I had this debate not long ago with somebody in my family a couple of weeks ago about the will of man versus the will of God. We've already described and already talked about it. It's God's will that people be saved. But you know, you can't be saved independently and apart from God's will. God needs to be a part of that. He needs to call us. He needs to convict us of our sin. He needs to convince us, to show us that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And it is Christ then who instills within us the belief to be saved. And then once we believe in him, we must then call on him. You see, God does most of the work, if not all of the work, but we still have a responsibility of our will because he still gives us the will. I don't understand how all that works. God has a will and God is sovereign. What God wills, God does, but God gives us a will as well. And in that will, we have to will. We have a responsibility to will to be saved, and we must then turn from our sin and turn to him and receive him. We must willfully do that. It is something that we must willfully do that we ourselves must do. He will not force us. He will not break us in the sense that make us make a decision that goes against our will. There's a responsibility in which we must will to be saved, and we then turn from our sin and turn to him as our Savior and call on him to save us from our sin against God. Without the calling... There's not genuine trusting in Jesus as one's personal Savior, Lord. The calling. And it's interesting in verse 16, and we're going to study it next week. Have you ever known anybody that is so hard against the call of God that no matter what is said and done, they just will not turn? Some hearts are so hard that they will not turn. Have you ever known anybody like that? Uh, he says here, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. The important, interesting thing about Romans 10, the Apostle Paul is perplexed because he longs and desires to see his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters saved. He prays for them to be saved. He brings them the gospel and he proclaims it so they can hear it, so they can believe and be saved. And yet they have not all obeyed the gospel. There are some that are just going to reject it outright. Not interested. I choose to be saved by my own righteousness, not a righteousness provided for me through faith in Jesus. And they're hardened to the gospel of Jesus, and they won't call on him. But if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One last passage I want us to look at in verse chapter 10. Matthew 10. Turn to Matthew, a different gospel. Matthew 10, not on your screen. Sort of a last-minute edition here. New Bibles, pages stick. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew 20. Matthew 20, go over a couple of pages. Matthew 20, verse 29. The power of Jesus to save. As they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed them. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, notice what it says, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. What are they asking for? 
They're calling for salvation. They're not just calling for sight. They're calling for salvation. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. And they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes immediately. They recovered their sight, and they followed him. He opened their eyes. Not just their physical eyes, but I believe their eyes of understanding. And they saw Jesus for who he was. Before they cried for him, they knew. They had heard the truth about who Jesus was and what he could do. But it wasn't until they cried out for him, called unto him to save them, were they then saved, and they followed him. They became disciples of Jesus. We need to call. We need to cry out. We need to humble ourselves before a holy God and reach for someone to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and that is to save us from our sin against God. And until we do that, it's available. We're going we're gonna to study in two Sundays about a God who's always reaching out to save and to rescue and to redeem people. And there are some who see him as the Savior. But for whatever unknown reason, they won't call unto him, turn from their sin, trust in him, place their faith and trust in him as their Savior and Lord. Do you, do you know anyone like that? whose heart is so hard and whose mind is so closed and whose spirit is so stubborn. They're so resistant. Maybe it's, your, maybe it's one of your children. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your grand. I, you, you, do you know what I'm talking about? There's somebody that just, they know it up here, but they've not truly called upon him. And until they do, they cannot and will not be saved. Is that you today? Intellectually, you've sat through Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You may be a part of a life group. You intellectually know and believe up here, but you've never had that transformational work of the Holy Spirit in here to turn your heart toward God and trust Jesus as your Savior. You must be born again. And the only way to be born again is to turn from your sin to call on Him for salvation of your soul.